thing. Okay, we started back in school. College started this week. Uh, high school, junior high, elementary school started a few weeks ago. Some of you have been out of school for a few years, but you still remember school and what it was like. What is or what was your favorite subject? Just think about it. Believe it or not, in the early service, they were blurting out stuff at this point. What, what was your favorite or what is your favorite subject? Now, listen to everything I'm fixing to say. If your favorite subject is like trigonometry and chemistry and biology too, right now, your fellow students think you're nerdy, but you will be their boss someday. Amen? So hang in there. Hang in there. You, they will be calling you sir and ma'am someday in the near future. This is a true story. The church before uh, I was pastor here... I went, and it was a Sunday in late August, and they were going to vote on me to be their pastor. So the pressure's kind of on. You know, i got to preach a good sermon. I can't, you know, trip and say anything that I shouldn't say on the way up to the pulpit or, or anything like that. And, and so I'm sitting on the stage. It's back in the old days. I have a suit on. And, and the, they do a children's sermon. How many of you remember to do children's sermons in services? So they have this lady comes down. She sits. And instead of them all leaving, they all come gather around. And she has me come sit down there with them. And she asked me, and she's pretty serious-minded. She said, what was your favorite subject in school? And I'm not prepped for this. And just off the top of my head, I said, lunch. And everybody laughed except her. And I noticed she was kind of, and then she said, no, seriously, what was your favorite subject? And I said, I guess PE was after that. And everybody laughed again. Two years later, I was the pastor and she had left and gone to another church. So I don't know if uh, there was a tie into that. But this morning, I want us to try to answer something I promise you is extremely important for you and me to get today. What is God's favorite subject? We're going to be in Luke chapter 15. We're going to be in Luke 15 this week, next week. Then the following week, we have a special, wonderful speaker, Tony Nolan, that's coming. And then we're going to be in October the 1st in Luke 15. So three Sundays in this beautiful, wonderful chapter. And we're going to begin today exploring what God's favorite subject is. What do you think God's favorite subject is? Is it Jewish history? I mean, God created the Jewish people. They were his special people, gave them the temple, the Ten Commandments. Jesus is a Jewish person. Maybe it's Jewish history. Maybe it's creation. I mean, God created it all. Maybe he loves looking back at creation and what he did and debating with scientists about that and how that all came to play. Or or maybe it's the end of times. How many of you think maybe God's favorite subject is? is the second coming. That's a lot of Christians' favorite subject. Maybe today, who knows, God the Father, they're, they're looking at Amazon. You can look at Amazon, I'm sure, in heaven, and they're looking at the latest books on when Jesus is going to return, and they're, man, we ought to buy this. Maybe we, we'll know when it's going to happen because all these preachers know when it's going to happen. Let me tell you what God's favorite subject is. It's none of the things I mentioned. God's favorite subject is people. God's favorite subject is is people. Now, folks, I want to I wanna always stay chained to the Bible, not a theology book, not to some other preacher or minister. And I believe God's favorite subject, we'll see today, is people. Verse 1 and 2, it says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives, and he even eats 
with these type of people. Why were the tax collectors, if you know much about the New Testament, why were they so despised by the people of Jesus' day, the Jewish people? Well, for a couple of reasons. One, a lot of these tax collectors were Jewish, and they'd gone to work for the Roman government, and that was a big no-no. So they're associated with, with the, the non-Jewish people, and they're working for the Romans against the Jewish people. And the way they te- collected taxes back then, you think it's bad now, it's probably even worse then. They would sit at city gates, and they were given a, an amount of money they had to collect for the Roman government. Let's just say for our sake it was $100 a week. So when people came in, there's no regulating this. People came in. They would get money from them, and there wasn't anybody. They could get as much as they wanted. Anything they got over that week, over $100, is pure profit. So if they got $1,000 from you, that's $900 pure profit. So they were known to be greedy. They were known to be dishonest. They worked for the enemy. Tax collectors, that was a bad word. In fact, a lot of the tax collectors were not even allowed to come to the synagogue, which is the, the Jewish version of the local church. So that's, that's a pretty, pretty rough thing. When he uses the word sinners here, we're all sinners. The Bible says all of us are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. The word the sinner here means a habitual bad sinner. This is probably your prostitutes. We would say this is drug addicts. These are the alcoholics. These are the people who aren't repentant. The people the world looks down upon. And it says they, they came to Jesus and they wanted to be with him. And they said that Jesus received them. He welcomed them into his presence. He put his arm around them. He went out to eat with them. He loved them. It says Jesus ate with them. Now to you and me, we go, well, you can go eat with anybody as long as, you know, they don't touch your food or fork. It's okay. But in, the, in this world, to eat with somebody, it was more intimate. It, it would have been in their home, not at Sonic. And they, they reclined at their meals. So to eat with somebody was a show of affection and intimacy. And the Pharisees, they're kind of the green beret of the Jewish people. They're the highly religious. Not all of them were bad, but a lot of them had, were corrupted by Jesus' day. And the scribes are, are, are great scholars also. And they could not stand the fact that Jesus actually loved people who weren't as good as they were. And in verse 3 is a turning point in this whole chapter. Jesus told them this parable. Now, Jesus actually tells three stories in this chapter. We're going to look at the first two primarily this morning. Helmut Felke is a theologian, was a theologian in Europe with a funny name, but a, a great thinker. Here's what he said about Luke 15. Now, listen, this is worth, this is worth swallowing. He said, Luke 15 is a window to see God. When we read Luke 15, Jesus has given us a crystal clear window to see the heart of God. Folks, what I think about God, what you think about God, what some other preacher thinks about God, what some book thinks about God is irrelevant. What Jesus shows us about God is all that matters. Amen? And he's going to show us the heart of God. The heart of God is people. Listen to the first story here, verse 4 through 7. What man of you having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave ninety-nine in the open country? And he goes after the one that's lost until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there is more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous people who have no need to repent. Now, this is very common. Jesus used very common stories in his days, not trying to be complicated, not trying to impress people with his words. They understood this picture. A, sh- a shepherd had 100 sheep. 
And every night when they would come in, he would count those sheep. There was one way in and one way that he would count those sheep. And he sees there's 99. He didn't say, hey, you know what? I've got a, I've, I've got a 99, you lose one, no big deal. The Bible says he went after that one. Now, folks, he's not trying to teach us an agricultural lesson here. He's talking about us. He's talking about people. Look in verse 8 through 10, and we're going to go into more detail on these in a moment. Uh, or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp and sweep the house and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me. I have found this coin that, that I had lost. And I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, th- that coin there was probably worth a day's wage. I mean, it would be a lot of money to a working person. And, and, and Jesus says that she didn't say, I've got nine coins. Hey, I lost one. You, you, you gain one, you lose one. No, it's that one coin she was going to go after. She was seeking it to find it. Jesus is not talking to us about coins. He's talking to us about people. We're not going to read it. This will be next Sunday. Verse 11 through 24 is the story of the prodigal son. And this one son blows the dad off and he leaves. The dad doesn't say, hey, I've got one good son at home. Who cares about that bad kid? I've got other servants and people. I don't, that kid wants to rebel against me. I don't care about him. No, it says, the Bible says that he was searching and, and looking for and his heart went out for the one son that weren't there. Now, folks, here's what I want to tell you. What Jesus is trying to say to the Pharisees and what he's trying to say to you and me, maybe you're a Pharisee this morning. You need to hear this religious person. Maybe you're here today and you're broken and your life's a mess. The Bible says God's favorite subject is people. That's what's on the heart of God more than anything else. So let me give you something that's really cool too. God loves people individually. God's favorite subject is not people in a generic way. God loves people individually. This matters and it ought to matter to you tremendously. I heard a prominent uh, a spokesman Uh, in a group several years ago, he was talking about the Great Commission. The Great Commission is found at the end of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And and it's where Jesus says to go to the world, and as you're going throughout the world, win people, baptize people, and train people. And this, this teacher was saying that that is not saying that we ought to go into all nations and try to win every individual. Here's what that person said. No, we are, that, that says to go to all nations and just win a few people, win some people. That's crazy. I mean, that, okay, so we're going to go to Canada. We don't care about reaching a lot of people. As long as we can win two people and have a Bible study, that's success. No, the Great Commission is about going everywhere you can and winning as many people as you can. Folks, that's the whole heart of this story is that Jesus loves people individually. I I won't read it again right now, but verse 4, he's looking for one lost sheep. In verse 8 through 10, she's looking for one lost coin. Verse 11 through 24, he's looking for one lost son. God loves people individually. John three sixteen is one verse many of you know. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That word world there, it's easy to look at that verse and say, oh, that's simple. Everybody knows that. That, that, that is mindlessly deep. It's so deep. That word world means the sum total of individuals. It doesn't mean a globe. It doesn't mean the world as opposed to God or a cosmic being. It means the sum total of individuals. Folks, God loves people 
individually. And let's drive it home to you. God loves you specifically. I want you to play along with me. Pat yourself on the chest this morning and say, God loves me. Say that. God loves you. God loves you specifically. Again, that is the the whole heartbeat of this story. In Luke chapter 12, verse 7, it says, Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. Why does God tell us he knows how many hairs are on your head? For some of us, that's not a challenge, even for God. Some of you, you got a lot. I, I read this this week, and I think this is uh, it, it's interesting. I'd read it before. Do you know blonde people have more hair than anybody else? Blonde people have, on the average, 150,000 hairs. Red-haired people have 90,000 hairs. Black and brown hair, you have 100 to 110,000 hairs. That's why I want to have fake blonde hair. Amen? Here's the point. If God looks at you this morning, the God of the universe, the God that created it all, the God that holds everything in his hand, and he looks in this room this morning, and he looks at you, and he knows you by name, and he tells you he knows how many hairs on your head, he's not doing that for barber hairdresser issues. He's saying, I know every detail about your life. That's how much you matter to me. It's that not awesome. Folks, in April of this year, statisticians said there are 7.5 billion people on this planet. 7.5 billion people. And what the Bible says of those 7.5 billion people, God knows you specifically. God loves you individually and specifically. And people and you are God's favorite subject. I don't know about you, but that's pretty good stuff, isn't it? And let me tell you something else. I think that even as this story unfolds, it gets better and better. God loves you no matter who you are this morning. No matter who you are. Some of you are somebody. Some of you feel like you're nobody. Some of you think you're somebody and you're nobodies. I don't know. Some of you are nobodies, but you're, you think you're nobody, you're really somebody. But listen, God doesn't care. Verse 1 and 2, the tax collectors and sinners, people that weren't even allowed to be a part of the religious society. Jesus loved those people, and they clung to him. And and the Pharisees and the scribes, they didn't like grumble. They mumble. You can just see religious people, look at him, look at him. Jesus didn't care. And I want to tell you this morning, no matter who you are, God loves you deeply. Now, God doesn't want you to stay in your mess. That's part of our goal this morning is to get out of that. But God loves you deeply no matter who you are today. Sigmund Freud was considered to be the father of modern-day psychiatry and psychology. Doesn't he look like a sweet guy there? He just had a bad cigar would be my guess at that point. Listen to what Freud said one time. He said, I've been around all classes and all kinds of people. In my estimation, most people are trash. I've heard some preachers that the way they talk about people and the way they see how God sees people is that we're basically trash. We're all sinners. We're all broken. But I want to tell you, God loves you no matter who you are, no matter what's going on in your life. One story I read several years ago, 
was a daddy, had a two-year-old boy, had asthma, ear infection, sinus infection, had it for two weeks. Many of you are parents, and you know what this is like. Every day he'd come home, and that little boy would come meet him at the door. Sneezing, coughing, stuff coming out of his nose. And he'd be running to him, Daddy, Daddy, Daddy. And he said, I didn't stiff arm him. I didn't trip him and push him towards his mother. He said, every day I would pick him up and I would hug hug him and he would slime that shirt. (laughs) He had slimed about 10 of my shirts at that time. But he said, it it finally reminded me, you know what? That's just how our good, good father treats us. That we're messy and we're messed up and we slime God's shirt or his robe, whatever he wears. But he keeps embracing us and, and loving us despite the mess that we create in the mess we are. God loves us no matter who we are. I love what one preacher said, and I believe it's true. If God had a billfold, your picture would be in it. God's favorite subject is people. And God loves you specifically. Let me tell you a third thing here, another thing. No matter, he loves you no matter what your relationship is with him today. You may be a wonderful Christian. You may think you are, and you're really not. You may be a believer who's away from God today. Hope you're honest enough to to say that to yourself. Maybe you're here and you're not a Christian and you're kind of repulsed or you're pushing back to it. That's okay. Let me tell you, no matter what your relationship is with God today, God loves you deeply. He wants to change that, but he loves you deeply. Again, the whole story, the sheep wanders off. You know, sometimes we just wander away from God. We don't intend to. I used to work with cows. Cows are dumb. Cows will just wander off. (laughs) Sometimes they rebel and jump a fence. They just wander off. Some of you have wandered away from God, really without even noticing it. Everything was good, and then six months went by, and you hadn't been to church three times, and thank God you're here today. But you're not near where you used to be with God, and it just happened. The coin got displaced. Sometimes we just get displaced. We just get turned upside down with God. The story of the prodigal son that we'll see next week in detail. The son thumbed his nose at the father, and the father's a picture of God, and the son's a picture of you and me. Sometimes we just walk away from God. The whole point of this story is no matter where we are with God today, God loves you deeply. God loves you individually. You and I are still his favorite subject. No matter what your relationship with him is this morning. And I want to tell you something else that I think is really cool. God is actively trying to reach you this morning. God is on a mission this morning to reach you. God knew you were going to be here. God knows how many hairs are on your head, how much hairspray is on your head whether you got a toupee on or whatever. And God's trying to reach you this morning. I sure hope you'll let him. Let's go back and look at verse 4. What man of you, if having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, he, doesn't, he leaves those in the open country and he goes after that one until he finds it. And when he has found it, he lays it on its shoulders, rejoicing. we got a picture of a shepherd carrying a sheep, and it's a pretty picture. And that's, that, that's how the Bible says here that he, he picks it up. He's not carrying it like he's mad at it. He doesn't find it in the pasture and beat it and then drag it back. He picks it up lovingly and puts it over both shoulders, 
and he carries it back home. And again, God's not trying to teach Ag 101 this morning. God's trying to tell you about what he's trying to do with you. God's on a search and rescue mission with you. That's the whole point. The shepherd leaves 99 because God cares about you. And the shepherd goes, looks for the sheep. And God's looking for you. God's trying to rescue you and reach you and me this morning. And then it says, when he gets that sheep back, they have a party. When he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, rejoice with me, I found my lost sheep. And I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than 99 righteous people who need no repentance. Now, let me, just, let me define that, who need no repentance. This is very important. That means one of two things here. Jesus may have been saying that those 99 sheep who are where they should be, that's they're in good shape. That's wonderful. And, and, and some of you, many of you today, you're in a good spot with God. Amen. Keep it up. But there's also places in the New Testament, God, Jesus talks about he came to reach the, the sick and to reach the ones who understood they were lost. And he wasn't saying other people didn't need to be reached. He's, some people, they just don't think they need to repent. Don't be that person this morning. The story goes on in verse 8 through 10. Or a woman having ten silver coins, she loses one. Does she light a lamp and sweep the house? She seeks diligently until she finds it. Let me explain this story a little more detail. Silver coin worth a day's wage. It also may have been something else. It may have been part of a headdress that was like a wedding ring in this day. So when a lady got married, she had ten silver coins that she made a headdress that was like a wedding ring. And for you women who like your husband, the wedding ring's significant, isn't it? A little humor there. Help me some. I got to tell a story of my wife. My wife, I'm sure she loves me deeply. But she's gotten several different wedding rings since we've been married. Not from me. Not from another man that I know of. But I mean, like, she'll come home and go, you know, I think I want to add this to my wedding ring or whatever. I think... That's my call, isn't it, guy? It isn't your call, guy. Y'all listening to me, young guys? It's not your call at some point. But if, if you, ladies, you like your husband, your wedding ring's significant, right? And if you lost a big chunk out of it, you'd want to find it. And, and so this very well could have been part of her wedding headdress, and she loses part of it. It's very special to her that these people in Jesus' day live in these one-room homes, they're, they're poor. They either have no window or they've got like an 18-inch circular window. So it's dark in there. So she lights a lamp. The floor is dirt with just straw mats on it. So to find this coin is difficult. It would be easy to say, I've got nine. I'm not worried about that one. No. She searches. The Bible uses the word searches diligently. In other words, with great effort and intent, she searches till she finds it. And when she finds it, it says she's rejoicing. In verse 10, this is our memory verse for this month. We don't do well with memory verses. It says, I tell you, there's joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Now, folks, here's a neat thing. I don't know of any other place in the Bible where it says something happens here on earth and there's rejoicing in heaven except when someone comes to Christ. It doesn't say the angels rejoice. It's not saying God's rejoicing. Here's who I think it is. I think it's our family members and friends who have gone on to heaven. And that when someone gets right with God, when someone gets saved here on this earth, at this church, in your dorm, 
that, that in heaven the bells are going off and there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of God. Again, the whole point of the story is not about even a wedding dress or a silver coin. It's about God showing us the heart of the Father. Jesus showing us his heart and God's heart. That God is trying to reach you this morning. That of all the people in the world, nobody means more to God than you do. No one means any less than God than you do. And that God is trying desperately to reach you. Some of you are Christians. You need a kick in the backside. You need to come back to God. And he is trying to pull you back to him. Some of you just need a fresh embrace because your heart's breaking. And he's trying to do that. Some of you are lost. And he's trying to pull you into the kingdom this morning. God's trying to reach you because you're so valuable. Why in the world with the hurricanes do people risk their lives trying to save people? Why do we spend hundreds of thousands of millions of dollars to try to reach people? You know why? Because people matter to us. Amen? People matter. And nothing matters to God more than people. And no person matters to God more than you. Many years ago, in Bartlett, Tennessee, Bartlett is a suburb of Memphis, A 17-year-old boy named Stephen, was a wonderful Christian, very active in his youth group, right before Christmas, terribly was killed in a car wreck. Before he died, his parents were able to make the decision to let the doctors take many of his organs uh, as transplants for other people. And... As time went on, his mother was able to correspond with the person that got Stephen's heart. Now, this is many years ago, so you didn't Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook. I mean, this meant Polaroid cameras and mail. Anybody here know what mail is? Uh, Mail, letters, post office. And she, she began to talk to the guy who got her son's heart. You can imagine how that would be. And the hospital downtown in Memphis where she worked was going to have a big get-together for people whose family members had given organs with the people who had received them. You can imagine that would be extremely emotional. She decided to go, and so did the guy who received her son's heart. She said she walked in the room, and she immediately saw him. He saw her, and they ran to each other. And they embraced. And he was real tall and she is short. So they're in a tight embrace. And her head and ear against his chest. She realizes she's hearing her son's heartbeat in that man. That she was able to embrace this man and hear her son's heartbeat. You know, Jesus has given us a privilege this morning. He's taken our heads and gently put them against the heart and the chest of the Father. And the Father and the Son are one, so when to hear God's heartbeat is to hear the Son's heartbeat. And if you're listening this morning, you can hear the heartbeat of the Father. No, it's not your heart or my heart in him that's beating. It's his heart that you can hear beating for you.
nothing matters more to God than people. And no person matters more to God than you. Will you embrace this God this morning who's desperately trying to embrace you? Let's pray. If you're a Christian, I hope today is the day you'll come back to God. I hope it's a day that that you'll let the Father, the Son, re-embrace you. He's trying to. You're here this morning and you're not a Christian and you're ready to give your life to Christ today. You're ready to do that and sincere. Pray with me. Just say, Jesus, I'm a sinner and I want to turn from my sins. Jesus, I believe you're God's son. I accept that, that you died and you arose for me. Jesus, come into my heart this morning. And I surrender my life to you. Let me have your attention. We're going to stand in just a second. And when we do, my challenge is embrace the God who's trying to embrace you. Maybe you just prayed and asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. Maybe you didn't, but you're ready. Come and talk to one of our ministers this morning. Let us help you with that. You're shy. You want to do it after church. We'll be standing around here. We would love to help you. Don't leave this building today without giving your life to Christ if you haven't. Maybe you'd like to join our church. You can certainly do that after church, or you can do it when we stand. Listen, I I believe I can say this for our church. We're a Luke 15 church. We want to love you and show you how much you mean to God. Come join us today. You're a Christian this morning. Maybe you're doing great with God. Keep it up. Inch closer to Him all the time. Maybe you're a Christian today, and for whatever reason, things with you and God are not where they should be. Maybe it looks good on the outside, but it's not. Maybe it doesn't look good on the outside. Come pray with a minister. Come pray at the altar. But man, God's searching for you. Let Him find you today. Come back to Him. Let's stand.